If you have your Bibles, you can turn to the book of John chapter 20, John chapter 20, and you can turn there. We're going to be in several different passages um, throughout this morning, but we're going to end up in John chapter 20 um, as we continue and really wrap up today our series that we've been doing this summer called Courageous. In fact, we come to the end of it, and um, I want to encourage you, um, if you didn't bring your Bibles, I want to encourage you, if you have a Bible at home, to bring that. If you don't, um, please go visit our guest service desk. Uh, We've got some uh, New Testaments that we want to be able to give you, some Bibles that we want to be able to give you, New Testament. But um, also, I want to encourage you to check out, just like I talked about the giving online, you can also access the notes online through your app. Uh, if you, um, and, and also you can access the verses uh, through version and some other tools. So I want to encourage you to be a part of that. It doesn't bother me when I see the glow coming from, you know, your seat. It really doesn't. Like, you know, I know there's games and you might be playing them. That's between you and God. All right. So uh, I just think you're in the Bible. Is that fair? I think that's fair, right? Yeah, I trust you. You trust me. We're good. So anyway, so I want to encourage you to be a part of that as we walk through God's word, and um, we're going to be in John chapter 20. Just as a way of review, uh, we have walked through over the past several weeks different characters and what we can learn uh, about courage in our faith walk and what we can learn from these different characters, from God's word, uh, about what it means to have uh, enormous courage when it comes to our faith walk. And so we began in week one, just just kind of a way of review. Um, You can always go to our podcast and listen online, and that's a growing audience. I want to encourage you, if you're not here, to do that. But we began in week one. Um, Todd Cooper, our student pastor, began with Jehoshaphat and found out from his life that the courage to overcome is rooted in our willingness to seek God. The courage to overcome a situation that may be desperate is rooted in our willingness to seek God. From Elijah the next week with Jared McElroy, um, Jared and Todd gave me a little bit of a break from preaching in June. And so from the, the life of Elijah, uh, we discovered that the depth and resolve of our courage is refined by a fruitful prayer life. Man, that is so incredibly true. David, uh, we, we studied David and realized that um, we equip our children for success in life Um, by instructing them to find courage and confidence and counsel from God. In week four, we looked at Jesus. No better character that we can learn courage from than Jesus. And we found out that compassion for those in need uh, is what gives us courage to share the gospel. We're we're actually going to touch on that topic and theme again here today with our character. And then a few weeks ago, Gideon, and we discovered that the courage to stand strong in the face of our greatest fears and our strongest enemies will come when we trust God's plan, when we follow his leading, and we give him the credit for the victory. Talked about Queen Esther, and we found out that courage in the moment depends on our willingness to do what God asks, whatever the cost. Whatever the cost. And last week we looked at Deborah. Oh man, that was one of my favorites. And saw how courage genuinely rooted in the power of God will inspire others to be brave. And I don't know if you've noticed, if you've been um, with us, is that courage, when it comes to um, having courage in life, the world tells us that we can have courage in and of ourselves. But everything that we've done over the course of all of these weeks have really pointed to the fact that without God, we really truly can't be truly courageous. That our ability to have courage comes from God. 
his power and not ours. And that's kind of been the theme through this whole series. Today, we come to a, a fantastic character in the New Testament. We're going to be talking about Mary Magdalene and how she had the courage to share the gospel as well. Um, right down here up front on the front two rows is a group of people. And I'm not, I'm not going to um, steal Todd Cooper, our, our student pastor's thunder, but you guys have all just been at camp. We've got our students down here on the front row. <laughs> and I've heard great things about camp. I'll let Todd get you up to speed, but um, I was in y'all's stage of life um, when God really began working on my heart um, in, in terms of my spiritual life, in terms of my journey with God. And I know some of you had that happen to you this week. Um, I'm so excited. Our church is behind you guys. We're so excited um, for what God did in your lives. And I remember um, going to camps and um, coming back and just like being incredibly challenged and enthusiastic about my, my new faith walk. And, and I remember it was during some of those camps and retreats and that sort of thing that God began to lead me into the ministry and began to lead me into a deeper walk with him. And one of the things that I noticed during, that, during those days and um, during that period of time in my life, and it was again, kind of echoed or confirmed a little bit later um, in life, is that there were those around me who came out of desperate situations, like my fellow students that like, may have come from a very desperate situation. And, and I didn't. I grew up in a, in a Christian home. Um, we had our problems, but from a faith standpoint, things really couldn't have been clearer for me. That doesn't mean that I didn't mess up, and it doesn't mean that I didn't stray from God um, during those years from six when I asked Jesus to be my Savior until the time he really began to work on me in my teenage years. But I, I grew up in a little bit of, I, I guess, what you might call a, a Christian bubble, like it was a Christian home. My mom and dad um, were both amazing Christian parents. Um, they had their faults, too. And my dad's listening to this podcast, I'm sure, and I'm still saying that. And I still love you, Dad, okay? So I had mine, too. Um, but they were great parents, and I, I grew up in this pretty normal Christian home. And I'm so thankful to my mom and to my dad for that. But I saw some of my friends coming out of this, like, desperate situation, this despondent, dark you know, home life or maybe something that they were involved in, maybe, you know, an addiction or, or something like that, um, that they came out of. And when God rescued them out of that situation, there was nobody that was more serious about sharing their faith than them. Like, it made me feel kind of like weak or something, you know, like, man, I got nothing compared to this person. And, and I kind of bought into a little bit of this lie that, um, we have sometimes that if we didn't come out of this deeply rooted, desperate situation, that God can't use our testimony because it's not interesting. And, and I want to tell you today that we're going to look at someone who came from a desperate situation, and some of you have come. Some of you have been rescued out of this horrible situation, maybe a, you know something that you, you didn't even cause, um, and God can use you, um, but God can use those of you who are in here today who are fortunate enough to not have to be rescued, because here's the deal. 
if you really look at the whole God-man relationship, doesn't matter how deep the desperation is, we all need rescue, don't we? Each and every one of us needs rescue. And I hope that you'll hear me today, wherever you've come from, wherever you are, um, even if you may see those who like were most transformed, like they went from something that was like completely unrecognizable to this person that's just on fire for God and sharing their faith, or if you're a person that, you know, it wasn't that dramatic, that each and every one of us, no matter where we are, have the opportunity to share the message of Jesus Christ because we all are desperate. We all have situations in our lives that are desperate. And we all have one situation in our life that's common among everybody in here, and that is, is without Jesus, we all have no hope. We have absolutely no hope for eternity and eternal life without Jesus. And so I hope as, you, as we walk through this character today, that no matter where you are, no matter what you've come from, you'll realize that you and I, we both have that in common, that we both have this opportunity to share our story because all of our stories are dramatic and they're all radical and they're all important, each and every one of us. The story we're going to look at today is a lady by the name of Mary Magdalene. Now, in the Bible, there's a lot of different Marys. It reminds me of a story when um, I took a team of uh, small group leaders to Romania back in 2004, 2005, and we went over to Romania, and we served at a church over there, and our whole goal was to help this church uh, understand small groups and, and life groups and how to do Bible studies and that kind of thing, because at the time, they didn't have all the resources that we uh, here in America have. And so, you know, I, I was the small group pastor at our church in Atlanta, and I, um, like, got all of my life group leaders up to speed on what it looks like to lead a group, small groups, and that kind of thing. And they had tons of resources. So we went over to help them in a variety of different ways. But one of the ways that we did this was we were helping the life group leaders, the small group leaders there in Romania. Um, and by the way, we had translators translating this for us. Um, but in most cases, everybody spoke English. And so we went over there and we did this. And so we would get paired up with life group leaders or small group leaders, and we would go to those homes at night all throughout the week and we would watch their small group and help that leader afterwards, you know, just maybe do some things differently or whatever the case may be. And so I remember one night going to one particular um, house, and we arrived there, uh, it was myself and, and another guy, and I ha they went around the room and they introduced themselves. And it was an adult small group, but it's no different than like elementary, middle school, or high school. When you got there, the men and women separated. <laughs> you know how that goes? Like the guys, the three guys that were in this group sat right over here, one, two, three, three guys. It was like, um, I think it was Andre, um, Alexander, and Vasile right there. You know, great Romanian, Eastern European names. I love it. And so, um, and then it was all the ladies right here, seven women. And so they began to say their names, and their names um, went like this. So first person, first lady introduced, she said, my name's Maria. The next one was Anna Maria. The third one was Maria. The fourth one was Marie. The, the, the fifth one was Andrea Maria. The next one was Maria. And then we had Kristen. So anyway, it was... Just this funny experience, like, is everybody in Romania, if you're a, you know, a woman, is your name Maria or some kind of derivative? And, it, you know, I, I could never get it straight, and it really didn't matter. So um, it was uh, kind of an interesting thing. And if you take a look at the Word of God and you read the New Testament, there's a lot of Marys. Mary's a common name. 
And so there's a lot of different Marys. And so I want to make sure that you understand which Mary we're talking about. Um, of course, probably the most famous, most well-known Mary is Mary, the mother of Jesus. God chose this woman um, to be the mother, the supernatural, divine mother of the Savior. She is amazing. And so Mary, the mother of Jesus, is, is probably the, the most well-known Mary. Um, that's not the Mary we're talking about today. Th- there was Mary of Bethany, and she had a sister. And, and some of you may know the story about Mary and her, her sister. Her sister's name was Martha. And Bethany was this little village located right outside of Jerusalem. And Jesus would often go to their house. Uh, he would often go to Mary and Martha's house, and there were other, other, others of his disciples there. And they would meet there, and that was kind of an area that they would strategize about how to reach Jerusalem and and the area beyond. And so it was kind of like, I I like to call it an outpost. It was like a little outpost of the ministry there in Jerusalem. And so that was another very famous Mary in the Bible. There was Mary, the mother of two disciples, James and Joseph. There was Mary, uh, the wife of Clopas, which we see at the crucifixion. Um, and then our courageous character, Mary Magdalene. Now, there were a bunch of other Marys. If you read the book of Acts after Jesus' time, uh, the, the writer of Acts, who is Luke, uh, and we'll look at Luke here in a moment, um, Luke uh, wrote about the new church, and in the new church, they would encounter different Mar- a bunch of different people named Mary as well. So there's a lot of Marys, but the Mary that we're talking about today, the one that we're going to focus on and learn what it means to be courageous in sharing our faith from is a lady by the name of Mary Magdalene. And she was one who was around Jesus and around the disciples, the followers of Jesus, pretty much the whole time of his three-year ministry. And she was someone who was rescued from a desperate situation. Take a look at these verses from the book of Luke. We will get to John 20 in a minute. This is just all kind of helping us understand who she was. Take a look at Luke Chapter 8, verses 1 and 2, as this man named Luke, who was a doctor, describes what was happening. Uh, Jesus, by the way, was near the Sea of Galilee, and he was doing ministry, and he had gathered his disciples, and he was preparing for a greater work beyond Galilee. And most of his disciples came from this area called Galilee. Luke 8, verses 1 and 2, soon after this, um, he went on through the cities and villages proclaiming. Uh, I want you to say proclaiming with me, okay, on three. One, two, three proclaiming. You guys did pretty well. Like, you know, I mean, you can't say proclaiming like proclaiming. Like it's not, it's kind of an oxymoron to say that. Like proclaiming means to announce with your mouth, right? Something, something. That's what the word is. And that's what Jesus was doing. He was proclaiming and bringing the good news. That's also the word gospel. Gospel and good news are the same thing of the kingdom of God. And the 12 were with him. So he had his disciples with him. He had his closest followers with him. They're proclaiming the good news of Jesus. They are out and about in these cities and villages around Galilee, verse 2, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. We'll stop there. There's a couple things that we can learn. This is Luke, who, by the way, as a doctor, um, is very specific in his writing. 
And he writes this gospel, and then he writes the book of Acts, which gives us the detailed list of what happened, detailed account of what happened in the early church there in the first century in Jerusalem. But he's writing about Jesus um, just years before the first church, or months or weeks in, in some cases um, in Acts. Before the first church gets going, this is the account of, of Jesus and his followers, and he goes into detail on who was there. Luke often would do that. And so he talks about these ladies, these women who were around Jesus. Um, it's interesting to note um, a lot of theologians and scholars believe that um, some of these people from Galilee probably were people who, um, they may not have been overly wealthy, but they were probably people of some means. They, they probably had some money and they probably were contributors to Jesus's ministry. Because they left what they had behind and followed him. And you see him often in a supportive role. You see them often in a supportive role of helping Jesus. And so when we read this, we see these disciples and, and these ladies that he specifically talks about. And some other people in verse 3 that he talks about. And, and they are there to help. And he mentions Mary Magdalene here. Um, and we know three or four things from just this one little verse. Um, first of all, she's from... Magdala, which is a little village on, on uh, the shores of, of Galilee, which really has nothing to do with anything other than the fact that it was a wealthy place because in that area, they would make dye for clothing in that day and age. They would make colors for clothing. And so that was a good and, and profitable industry back in that day and age. And so she probably had some relation there uh, to that, and so she probably was wealthy, and she uh, would help Jesus and that sort of thing. Secondly, we know this, that she was sick, right? In fact, it talks about a few of these women being sick. Verse 2 says, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits, we'll come back to that in a minute, and infirmities. Now, the word that's used there, infirmities, isn't like she had a cold. <laughs> this isn't like, man, she had the flu, the word that's used is specifically saying that she had one of two things that, that was wrong. Either she had a full body like issue, like her whole body was just a wreck, or she had been sick all of her life and probably would be sick all of her life. Most scholars believe it was a combination of those two. <laughs> like, she had something that like overtook her body, her whole body, and it was going to be something that would last and that pretty much had been for most of her life. A lot of theologians believe she probably had epilepsy, that that's probably what it was or something like that. And so this lady had no hope from a physical standpoint, no hope whatsoever. And I believe that that physical infirmity is tied to the second thing that we learned, or actually the third thing we learned, and that is, is that she was possessed by evil spirits. Now, in that passage there, evil spirits and demons are essentially the same thing. She was controlled by something that was not of God. During this day and age, there was a lot of polytheism, a lot of people worshiping a lot of different gods, small g, not the one true God. And it's very possible that she was overtaken by a demon. This was not uncommon. But what is uncommon, and this is the fourth thing that we can learn about her life, is that the Bible says, Luke says here very specifically, that she had seven demons that, that Jesus cast out of her, essentially. Seven is always a special number, in the Bible. 
And I believe that it's special in this instance because this would have been someone who was completely overtaken by this evil thing that was of Satan and of the devil and not of God and of Jesus. Her whole life, her whole body, everything overtook it. And by the way, I keep saying it, it was many. It's, it was seven different spirits had invaded her life. This woman was the epitome of hopelessness. She was the epitome of someone that if you looked at her from every outward appearance, she had no hope. She had no future. This woman from all appearances was probably one of those people that you're like, there's no way. I feel so bad for her because she is unable to be helped. But Jesus healed her. But Jesus took these demons and cast them out as we see Jesus doing as part of his ministry in that day and age. She was healed of all of these evil spirits and all of her infirmities. And if you and I believe the Bible to be true, we have to believe that Jesus did these things. I believe it. And she was completely healed. I mean, this is like my friends um, when I was y'all's age in, in, in high school that like came out of this horrible situation and they were completely overcome by God. And it was so awesome to watch how Jesus just took over every aspect of their life. That is Mary Magdalene's story before Jesus. She had no hope whatsoever, but God got a hold of her and he gave her hope. He fixed every single one of her problems. And so we see what she did after she met Jesus. She was a follower of him. She, uh, most scholars believe that she probably was there in just about every area. Um, we have this idea in mind that Jesus had just the 12 followers. He probably had hundreds of people following him from Galilee down to Jerusalem, out into the outskirts of Jerusalem, and back up to Galilee during his ministry there. Um, Jesus had a lot of followers, and I believe that Mary Magdalene was one who would follow him on a regular basis, um, serving him along with a lot of, all the other disciples and, and many other people. And we see her commitment to him in the fact that she was one of the only people that was at his death and his burial and his resurrection, all three. Let's take a look at what Mark says about her being at his death and burial. Take a look at the, kind of the importance of Mary Magdalene's ministry. It kind of finds its pinnacle at his death. Um, Mark describes, Mark 15, verse 40, there were also women looking on from a distance, watching the crucifixion of Jesus. And among them were Mary Magdalene, that's the first one mentioned, and Mary, the mother of James the Younger and Joseph, that's Joseph, essentially, and Salome. But Mary Magdalene wasn't just there when he died. She was there when he was buried. Take a look at verse 47, skipping down seven verses. Mary Magdalene and Mary, again, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. So this is a person that, like, as a follower of a rabbi, if you were there for um, the death and the burial of your rabbi, you were among the most committed people to the cause of the rabbi. And don't believe for a moment, if you ever hear anyone talk about a romantic relationship between Mary Magdalene and Jesus, that is not the truth. The Bible doesn't talk about it. It's nowhere to be found. She was a follower of Jesus because she knew what she was before Jesus, and she knew what she was after Jesus. 
She was a follower of Jesus because of what he did in her life. Her life was an evidence of the change that we all can have. And so she was really essentially the prominent, most prominent figure at the end of Jesus's life, or one of the most prominent figures at the end of Jesus's life. And now if we fast forward and we turn finally to John 20, some of you are like, thank you, finally get to John 20. We, we see that Mary Magdalene was the first person that was there three days later when Jesus was no longer in the tomb. Take a look at verse one of John chapter 20. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Now, we're not going to read the next ten verses, uh, the next nine verses, but uh, here's how the story went. Mary Magdalene got there early because of her passion for Jesus. She wanted to, to, to check on you know, what was happening here, and the stone was rolled away when she got there, and she looked in, and he was gone. And you know what she did? She ran and she told John, who I love in, that in, in this instance, he calls himself the, the disciple Jesus loved. He's writing the book and he calls himself the disciple Jesus loved. I think that's just great. Like, I love that. And, and Peter, Simon Peter, who was really impetuous, and he called them and they rushed there to the tomb and, and they looked in. In fact, Peter ran in, Mr. Impetuous Peter, ran in to the tomb and both of those guys, John and Peter, like two of the three closest disciples to Jesus, at that moment, um, they displayed incredible courage. And they ran as fast as they could home because they were scared to death. Some of you women are like, yep, that's about right. Mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm, yep, just like a man running home when he's scared. I mean, these guys looked in, and the body of, of the man that they had left everything for was and they were terrified. They didn't know what to do. You know what Mary Magdalene did? She stayed. She stayed. Fast forward down to verse 11. Take a look at this. But Mary stood weeping, weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at his head and one at his feet. Verse 13, they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord. Uh, Pretty significant that she called him Lord. That word means master. In other words, she identified herself as one who was under his authority. They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Verse 14, having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. And I love this part. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener. That's my favorite part of the whole story. Like she thought Jesus was the gardener. That is so cool. That would be what I would do. Um, She said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've laid him and I will take him away. And verse 16, Jesus said to her, Mary. And at the moment that he spoke her name, what happened? She recognized it. She recognized the voice. She knew exactly at that moment that it was him, that it was him. Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned and said to him in Aramaic, 
Rabbanai, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And look at what happens in verse uh, verse 18 here. I love this. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And that he had said these things to her. I think it's amazingly interesting that of all the people that Jesus chose to be the first person on earth after his death, burial, and resurrection to go tell the story that he's alive was a woman who had previously been possessed by demons and sick probably beyond recognition. That is exactly what Jesus does. He rescues you and I from our deepest, most despondent moment. And if we are willing and able and ready, he will use us to further his kingdom, won't he? He will use people like you and me to further his kingdom. He did it with Mary Magdalene. She was the first person to see him. She was the first missionary Like, I know she went and told his disciples, but she was the first one. And by the way, that word announced and proclaim have the same uh, root word in the original language. So what Jesus did in Galilee by proclaiming, Mary Magdalene did for the very first time. She was announcing or proclaiming that good news of Jesus. I love the picture of what Jesus did, but I really love the picture of Mary's response. You see, we have this picture of what Mary was. We have this picture of what she became. But I love the response because I don't know about you, that wouldn't have been my response. I would have been like, okay, wait a minute, Jesus, hang on, hang on just a second. First of all, I'm having a little trouble realizing that like you're Jesus because like last time I saw you, the stone was here and you were behind it. And now you're in this different form than I've ever seen. I would have been a little like Thomas and I don't know about you, I would have asked Jesus to clarify. You want me to do what? You want me to go announce to who? Where's the manual for this? Like, where are the instructions, Jesus? I need some clarification here. And Mary just goes. And so we see in her response an act of courage that sometimes you and I struggle with. Let's face it. Like when we have the opportunity to tell someone, about what God has done with us, sometimes we have fear, don't we? Sometimes we're overcome with anxiety or fear because we don't think we're worthy or we think that the person won't receive what we have to say or maybe we really don't truly understand what God has done. You see, I don't know about you, I didn't grow up quite like Mary. And some of you did. And I want to let you know that God will use your darkest moment in your life. If you're willing, he will use that to further his kingdom. But God will also use those of you who are here today, who grew up similar to the way I grew up. He will use your your hopelessness to further his kingdom 
as well. Because while our circumstances may not be like Mary's, our certainty is each one of us have the same certainty. And that is without Jesus, we have certain death. That's what Romans tells us. That the wages of sin is, a de- is death. But it goes on to say the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. And so today, through Mary Magdalene, I think we can learn that recognizing how Jesus has brought hope in our desperation gives us the courage to share Jesus with others. We may not think of our situation as as hopeless as Mary's was, or one of our friends, or someone that we hear on TV, or someone that we hear on a podcast, or someone you may hear on this stage from time to time. But I want to let you know, regardless of what your circumstances are, you and I are all without hope except for love of Christ. And that's reason for you and I to share with our friends and our fellow students and our neighbors and our family members who have no hope. It's our mission at Hilton Head Island Community Church to passionately share, announce, proclaim the message of Jesus Christ and to lead people to follow him. We have the greatest story to tell and each one of your stories are important, and each one of your stories are significant. So I want to end today before we pray by asking you three questions, because I think that sometimes we may not consider these questions. We just kind of let it go by us. What were you before Jesus? What were you after Jesus? And what is your response to Jesus going to be? God, I pray right now in the strong name of Jesus that you would give each one of us who call ourselves Christ followers in this room, the confidence and the courage that can only come from you to share our story with people that we come in contact with. God, it doesn't matter where we've come from. It doesn't matter what our past is. It doesn't matter how desperate it may seem or be or how great our past was. God, it doesn't matter the circumstances behind our past. The fact is, is that all of us in this room have the same certainty, and that is eternal death without Jesus Christ. Your word says if we put our faith in you, if we believe in you, if we confess our sins, that you're faithful and you're just to forgive us from our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And your word gives us the promise that if we believe that we can have eternity in heaven with you one day. Help us, God, who are gathered in here, who are already Christ followers. God, help us to confidently, with courage, share that message with those we come into contact with. And I just want to talk to those of you who are here today, and maybe you've never put your faith in Jesus. Maybe you've never believed. Maybe you've heard it a lot. Or who knows, maybe you just showed up today because somebody grabbed you and brought you to church and you really didn't want to come. But something that was sung or said or something that you saw made sense. And today is your day of salvation. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here today and you've never asked Jesus to be your Savior, I want to give you the opportunity to do that right now in this place. I'm going to out loud say a prayer. It's a very simple prayer. And I'm going to ask you and invite you and challenge you to follow along with me if you've never put your trust in Jesus. 
Listen, it's not, the words aren't magic. It's, it's the intent of your heart with God. And it goes something like this. God, thank you so much for sending your son Jesus to die for me. I admit that there's nothing that can get me into heaven except for you. And today, right now, I believe in you. If you prayed that simple prayer with every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm going to have you look up at me and raise your hand for a moment. I won't embarrass you, I promise. I just want to pray for you. If you prayed that prayer in here, anyone in the room? God, I thank you so much for the work that you're doing in the life of Hilton Head Island Community Church. And God, I pray for those who may have said that prayer in these moments. God, I pray for those of us who are here today and we are yours already. God, I pray that you would give us the courage to be able to proclaim and announce the change that we have, the hope that we have for eternity when we die. God, thank you for this great example of courage. And we thank you that we can proclaim that you're alive because of the truth of your word and what you did. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.